Well, this is what I'm, what I, like, I'm very interested in the topic of biblical law and uh, especially, you know, it's, it's implications for, um, you know, like, let's just say uh, our time right now, what, what is, what does biblical law have to do with Christian ethics? What does biblical law have to do with um, moral law or natural law or things like that? Everything. And uh, <laughs> just, just tipping your hand there. Hey, <laughs> so um, this is, I guess, um, you know, there's, there's some interesting ways you can, you can approach the issue, but one of the, um, one of the ways that I think is very interesting is to look at some of the places where you kind of run into conflicts um, when it comes to, I mean, we, j- we were just joking about uh, being Sabbatarians and uh, it's interesting to just look at places where you sense that your life as a Christian does not align with the, uh, let's say at least the old Testament law or just the biblical law tradition as a whole. Um, where yeah, you I've see things in problem. there. <laughs> Are you wearing mixed cloth right now? <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure this is all printed on, but uh, um, I'm sure I am somewhere. What are those images? Do you want me to look to rifle through the rest of my clothing writer? Or, but <laughs> that's that's really up to you. <laughs> uh, I think that is a good question. So okay. Yeah. Anyway, so that's. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have my own perspective on things, but, and I, I, I'll just say this up front. I don't really, um, like, if you start bringing up sort of the traditional theological positions on things, um, I might not even know what you're talking about. It's been a while since I even, like, I remember, yeah, because, you know, we mentioned like Lutheranism, the, the third use of the law, um, uh, which I think yeah. means you, Bringing, bringing us to Christ or something. Yeah. The Lutherans, well, the Lutherans make, I mean, well, maybe we should, I, I, I don't know how much we want to talk about this before we officially start, but the Lutherans well, we're make. Started, we're number, started, man. This oh, we're already, already going in? Oh, okay. I thought we were doing the pre, the warm-up. Well, no There's no warm-up. Okay, no warm-up whatsoever. Um, the Lutherans, and none of us are Lutheran, in their system make space for what we ref- I mean, I would agree with this. The reform would call all three uses of the law. So the first use of the law is um, that it restrains evil, but what it actually does is actually less important than why it does it. It restrains evil because there's a remnant of the image of God in all humans. So all humans are created in God's image, and even after the fall, the Reformed would say that there's still a remnant of the image of God in every man. The Lutherans are a little bit, from from what I've read, um, are a little bit more shaky on that affirmation. Um, I've read some Lutherans who would agree with that affirmation, and then I've read some who would say, no, the image of God is just totally obliterated in man after the fall, because they would define the image of God along the lines of justification. But they would still make space for the first use of the law, but I wonder if the reason why it's not as much of an emphasis in Lutheran systems is because, and the first, well, is just because the um, they don't really uh, hold 
to the same affirmation of the image of God in at least as emphatic a way as Reformed people would. But um, <clears throat> the first use of law is connected to the Christian understanding of the census divinitatis, the sense of the divine um, in every person. Um, it's connected to natural revelation. It's connected to how Reformed would conduct apologetics. I mean, the presuppositional transcendental method is built on the first use of the law. So the first use of the law is massively important in the Reformed system of thought. Um, it's very important, even though most people don't understand why. So that's the first use of the right. law. The second use of the law is that it it drives you to Christ. So it unveils your sin and reveals the righteousness of God, which forces you to look for righteousness, not your own. The third use of the law, what probably will spend the more majority of our time, but the second use of the law is where the Lutherans spend most of their time when they're talking about law. And they're actually right <clears throat> about the second use of the law, even if it's disproportionate. Um, but the third use of the law is um, how the relationship of the law to the Christian. I think we would all say that the law in some sense guides, I mean, I would say the law guides the Christian in following Christ. Um, and the Christian is enabled to keep the spirit of the law through Christ, actually by Christ, in them. Um, and that the, if you want to think about it, the third use of the law kind of gives us clothes to grow into as Christians. That's how I'd say it. So yeah. I tell... Uh, I'll shut up in a second, but I'll, I tell, I, before all this pandemic stuff started, I was preaching through the Ten Commandments to my church, and it was really helpful to talk about the uses of the law as, the first, the law is an acquaintance, so it's just a neutral fact that restrains evil with every single human being because of the image of God in each person. Um, it's an enemy because it convicts me of my sin and shows me my flaws and faults forces me to look for righteousness that I can't have on my own, but it's also a friend because it teaches me how to live in a Christ-like way. So that's how, I mean, that's how I've always articulated it and understood it. And I find it very helpful. So. Yeah, that's interesting. I always had one and two flipped then in the threefold use of the law. My, my first one that I always had was it reflects the holiness of God showing the shortcomings of man. And then in the second use was, the idea of restraining evil. And then the third one was the, the guiding of believers. Um, like we had talked about earlier before we started recording, but uh, into the good works that God has prepared beforehand, there's an, ele- the, there's an element of um, the application and even implications of the law that, that help believers uh, understand that the, the good works that, that God is calling us to do. And I think um, you know, a big reason why that's important. And like Matt says, we'll, we'll probably, I'm assuming be the, the, uh, majority of our discussion is because we have to answer the question of, uh, if we don't use the law, if the law is not applicable, then do, um, you know, so, so when you have, when you have something like love, Right? And I was just having a conversation with a guy recently on this, and um, we were talking about the law, and his view was that the law is not applicable, but we are called to love the Lord with all our heart, mind, and soul. And I said, okay, uh, that's great, except for the fact that um, <laughs> I mean, there's law there, but you could also yeah. say that 
the question becomes, what do you mean by love then? What, what is this standard of love that, that God is asking from his children, right? Or his, his creation. And I think the law uh, grants that, right? Even with loving neighbor, um, the same thing. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so I, I don't know if, if, if my memory is just mixing those two up, the first two, but I don't think it really matters anyway. It's just, no, it matters, Tyler. It matters. <laughs> if you don't get one, two, and three in that exact order, you might as well just log off. Well, it generally follows the order of first he is coinciding with creation, second he is with the gospel, third with the spirit-filled life. So, um, <clears throat> Yeah, writer. What do you what do you think? What is your predilection? Predilection. Uh, well, I guess the reason I brought that up was to say I like I never. I, I guess I don't haven't hadn't really thought about it in those. I probably had thought about it in those ways when I was reading, you know, Puritans all day back at Moody. But um, yeah, the the way when I look at it, like I think that there's a lot of consistency in the way the biblical law tradition unfolds across the canon. And uh, I think often, you know, those areas where there seems to be conflicts or um, turning points or, or things like that, you know, especially you can think of um, the the whole notion that the law is fulfilled in Christ. Um, and, uh, and yet, of course, he says that he is not, you know, annulling even one letter of the law. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, and there's other things too. I'm thinking about the, uh, the, the old covenant and Christ inaugurates a new covenant. Um, Paul says we've died to the law. Um, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of sort of implications that could be drawn out from those things. But I think in, in some, I think that the tradition is very um, consistent. Um, but I, I, I guess. I, I agree with that writer. It, it is consistent, not just within the Old Testament, but from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Yeah, and, and I think that's an important point, though, to make. Ways. Yeah, and that's, that's, it's important to bring that up because I think a lot of people look at the Old Testament law and just think, well, this, is, this has nothing to do with the way we yeah. live as Christians. Or right. um, I think a lot of people make the assumption that uh, there's more inconsistency or yeah. discontinuity than there really is. Right. Uh, but that being said, there are points of discontinuity or apparent discontinuity, at least, um, and those are worth addressing. Um, so, what but, are the what are the uh, what are the discontinuity? What are the points of discontinuity? Well, this is this. this so, what was the discussion? Right? Yeah. yeah, that is the discussion. Where is the discontinuity? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's entire. I did. I read all these books about Christ and the law. And, you know, is he? Is he really over, uh, f- you know, overthrowing the law or fulfilling the law? What does that really mean? You know, what's going on with, you know, the Sabbath? Uh, you know, his disciples are rubbing grain in their hands, and the Pharisees say that's breaking the law, and Jesus says, "Well, David broke the law," or something very similar to that. Right. So, you know, there, there, there's a lot of interesting things there, but I, I think probably um, just to uh, to bring it all to a head, in a sense, the the key issue or the key point where this becomes contentious i think is where people uh, um, try to assess what are the implications of even the apparent discontinuity so um before bringing up any specific examples let's just think about the way um maybe i I think just listening to the way you guys were talking about the the uses of the law and stuff i think you guys are probably pretty close in agreement on 
uh, on the issue of biblical law, maybe in some of its implications. Probably there's some stuff we can talk about in terms of how that applies to society or um, Christian life. But or, uh, the key, the key thing that, orders for pandemics. Yeah, yeah, we can talk about that for sure. I'd love to I talk about that. But, but this is the key thing, is there is a way of reading the biblical law tradition that views it as a trajectory. And really what you have to do is assess what not only what it specifically says at points along that trajectory, but where that trajectory is heading. And so there's a book, what's the guy's name? It's called something like Slaves, Women, and Homosexuals um, by a guy from a seminary just over in Cambridge, Ontario. Um, I, I'm, I'm blanking on his name at the moment, but uh, um, he, this is a really influential book. But one of the ways, uh, one of the kind of arguments that's, that's floating around is that, well, you know, there's a redemptive movement throughout the canon that's evident. And yeah. because of this redemptive movement, now we recognize that slavery is bad. Whereas in the Old Testament, slavery was built, you baked into the law, you could say. And in the New Testament, slavery was just taken for granted. Well, there was this sort of movement, you know, Philemon's kind of the final um, indicator that really things are changing. And then by the time you get to today, well, now we know better, I guess you could say. And we we, we follow that trajectory. So, of course, that gets applied as well to things like well, what is what are the roles of women in the in the church? Well, you can see this redemptive, you know, this trajectory, um, and uh, and so it, you know, it's it, it may not say it in the New Testament, but really it's heading to a certain in a certain direction. So and the same thing with homosexuality. What's that? An evolution, so to speak. Exactly. We've exactly. evolved over time to recognize better than our fathers. And it's not even necessarily better because I think they would they would say well they're actually following the spirit of the spirit of the law you could say you know to 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 put the make the steel man argument uh, well I'm, I wouldn't agree that it's better I was just saying no that. I know I know well, but I don't I, think they would say they would I, the, the idea is not well we know better now it's rather that this was the this was the movement this was the movement of the spirit in history and this is where well, it was headed well if I can say some two things that are slightly controversial on this. Um, I think one we will probably all agree on, and the other I don't think we will. Um, the one mm-hmm. is just to find these these good fine points, right? The one is the law is not just consistent with, and Reformed tradition would affirm this, and I would agree with this, having been preaching through the Ten Commandments and seeing it. Um, the law is not just from Exodus on. The law is codifying what was already being taught in Genesis, so that there there was uh, the law before the law, mm-hmm. and that's uh, it's actually I mean rab- rabbis affirm that that Abraham was the I, um, the typological law keeper, right? So there, if you yes, look, and Joseph's and Joseph's Egyptian wife converted to Judaism before they got married, so right, Joseph was right. the law keeper. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the um, uh, I mean, if you look at all 10 of the commandments, they're all rooted in the Exodus stories and in the, the narratives. Um, so, so there's That's not the point just, we agree on, right? Yeah, they're not just, but I'm just making it, I'm just up in the ante, right? So there's not just, because the way the New Testament argues is, hey, Sinai, um, we're, we're past Sinai now. But when it says that, it doesn't mean that we're done with the law, because the law was... It, antedated Sinai. It was before Sinai. It just was put into the form that it was at 
at Sinai. Sinai was a particular instantiation of it, but it was present prior to Sinai. Right. Like you can't ixnay right. the law if it not, predates the covenant that you're supposedly ixnaying. Yeah. Except, except when Paul says that the law, which came 430 years after Abraham, uh, yeah. could, couldn't possibly undo the promise. He also says... <laughs> Paul also says Christ is the end of the law for all who believe, and he proceeds just, in the next chapter to exhort people to keep I'm just the law. Being a butt. I'm just being <laughs> no. a butt. No, I, I I agree. Like the idea is that the, the the law is like you said, codifying. That's a great word, codifying something that's in, implicit or inherent in yeah. creation itself, because um, the creation to in, in, to some extent reflects the nature of God. God doesn't act inconsistently yeah. with um, his very being, and so his being is. Um, you could say indirectly reflected in his creation, and right. uh, and you can take each of the ten commandments and go through and say, okay, where does this build on Genesis? And it's a really fruitful study. I mean, that's one of the ways that I was preparing for the ten commandment study. So, so that's where we all agree. Um, here's where I think, I think, unless writer converted, um, here's where I think that we will have some measure of disagreement. Uh, in some sense, I would still call myself a dispensationalist, right? Which uh, is kind of ironic because I'm citing all this reform uh, theology. Uh, I don't think that they're necessarily um, in, in competition with one another. Um, in some points, they can be, and there is some tension there, right? But um, let's just be clear: Moody was not is not a dispensationalist school; it's a Zionist school. <laughs> uh, so yeah, okay. Anyways, the writer has not converted. I mean, it depends <laughs> on who you talk to. Uh, that's true. That's true. Uh, very, very true. And hey, it's less that way than it probably was ten years before we were all there. But uh, probably, probably. Because, yeah, so, because fads always disappear over time. Right. <laughs> um, is that why everybody's going back to Rome now? Or no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Who's going uh, back to Rome? Uh, there is supposedly like a contingent of pro- Protestants who are fleeing to to Rome because the Rome because the Pope finally wisened up. Because um, the Pope is much more biblical now than <laughs> than the Pope uh, of the past. I saw what's his name that one Roman Catholic guy speaking of the law who was talking with Ben Shapiro, and he was saying. Well, us Roman Catholics, we really just want to re-Judaize Christianity. And I was like, exactly. You guys want to put us back under the yoke of the law without... All right, anyway, sorry. Um, it's very interesting. Yeah. Um, what's his name? I can't remember. He's like... Father well, Baron? Yeah, that guy. I think I'm that just guy. saying that because it's like the most famous no, Roman Catholic it is, YouTuber. It, but I think it is him. Uh, didn't he come to Moody when we were all there? There was a Catholic that came to Moody, and I asked him about justification by faith alone, and my wife was mortified. But another topic for another time. (laughs) We could we could we should do a segment on Catholicism. That's um. Anyways, um. So I am uh somewhat of a dispensationalist, and what I understand that to mean is that I don't think the church is an expansion of Israel. So I don't think the church is true Israel. Um, I think that there is a true ethnic reality called Israel that will be saved in the last time. Um, that's what I mean by dispensational. 
Um, I, I think that is contained within the church, but I think the church is. So bring it back to law, though. Right. Well, that affects, so dispensationalists have a myriad of different ways for interpreting the law. So many of them would interpret it. Hey, New Testament, new dispensation, law is done, law is over. I wouldn't say that about the imperatives of the New Testament, but they would say we shouldn't look to the Old Testament to find our moral thought, that we should only look to the New Testament. I mean, but so you you just you probably disagree with that because as as you see it, um, and as probably we agree, the law it's not that it's just a set of you know moral obligations that are you know purely arbitrary, but rather they're they they as we said reflect the nature of God, and so um, yeah, insofar exactly. as they do that, they really you know we can definitely develop moral thought based on the Old Testament. And now, now I do think Sinai. I do think that Sinai was a particularly, a particular instantiation or codification of the law. So there, that, that particular instantiation, I guess I would say is over. So, so but, you'd have like a soft discontinuity. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the, that's the tension of dispensationalism, always has been, of, of what is, right. it, it probably has overemphasized discontinuity, where others have overemphasized continuity. I think mm-hmm. you have both intention. So, so, so let's talk about this trajectory view, though. Um, okay. Given you know you're not you're not taking the hard dispensationalist position no. that um, there's this utter discontinuity between the moral requirements of the Old Testament and the moral requirements of the New Testament. Well, I mean, the, it's like a. Or are it's you? like. No, no, of course not. No, okay. there's like a but among dispensationalists, it's like how. What proof, there are differences. What proof of alcohol you want to go? Like there are some people who would say, "Hey, the only thing." I thought those were the Pentecostals. <laughs> there are plenty of dispensational Pentecostals. <laughs> but they, uh, the dis- some some would say, "Hey, nothing after prior to the resurrection is for Christians. All of that is for Jews." Um, right, right, right. So no, yeah, bap- that's right. no baptism, no communion, no, um, and that's just. I think Whack. it's unbiblical. Yeah, well, I think it's unbiblical. <laughs> it's like, but then there are some who will say, I mean, I think even Charles Ryrie said, Sermon on the Mount isn't for Christians properly. Like, you, you yeah. can apply it to Christians. Yeah, so that's, that's, like my, that's like my Matthew memory 18. of Moody. Yeah. You deal with the same thing with Matthew 18. If you're talking right. about church discipline, and they'll say, well, no, actually, that's not church discipline. <laughs> that's for Jewish that's people, a, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. so you're like, oh, okay. And they're like, well, I, I was going to say but, that, but that is like the principles and it's like, oh, it's like, well, how is that different? Really? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that was for the people he was directly speaking to and yeah. the implications okay. are for us. But we can still learn about it. Like, okay. Well, and have like Paul's letters for you. Yeah. But I have yeah. like Paul's letters. You uh, foolish that's, Galatians. Well, that that's the implications are for us too. <laughs> but, uh, the, the trajectory of, of the law over time. Yeah, what do you think about that, Tyler? That argument because it's a like let's just we we you have to agree that it is a compelling argument in the sense that it's it's a very it's possible to make a good case for something um, where you want to see like for example slavery like you if you look at slavery as a moral evil right well I would have to ask yourself why what like how does that work in the New Testament why doesn't it why aren't they clearer on it. Here's what I'd say, Ryder. The first thing I'd say is it's a lot easier to deconstruct something and and just focus on deconstructing somebody else's view or or even um, 
you know, deconstructing how the law works is a lot easier than forming an actual uh, coherent idea or um, hermeneutic that allows the law to to still work effectively without um, putting us under the yoke of the law in in the um, in in a way that's scary to a lot of Christians. And so, um, on the one hand, I you know when I look at that the idea of like trajectory and, you know, so we talk about things like, you know, what about slavery or what about menstrual cycles um, and things like that. have to stay and stay in the house. That's what I <laughs> We're all in the house now. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think my, I, I would say my view is tentative, right? Okay. So I'm not like, I'm not like set in what I'm going to say. You're not about to write a book on this call. Exactly. Um, But I think there's an element of presuming continuity unless subsequent revelation kind of demands discontinuity, right? So, Hmm. like, I don't want to assume discontinuity unless subsequent revelation demands continuity. I'd rather presume continuity unless discontinuity is that kind of making sense that's why i'm saying yeah, that totally of- makes sense so you're saying like if you read something in the old testament some kind of law you should assume that you know it's it's actually still um let's say uh, a moral obligation or there's moral obligations entailed um unless there's something in the new testament for example like in hebrews it talks about um, the sacrificial system being rendered obsolete and so that clarifies for you oh okay the sacrificial system is no longer morally binding on me, except in a, in a more abstract sense, perhaps. Exactly. And so what that leads me to do with the law is tend to take two views or, or you know, two views in, in one, uh, which is, um, it, you know, either the law is directly applicable to all of life. So that means the Christian life is in particular included into that. But because it's God's law, um, it doesn't exclude non-Christians as well. So, and what I mean by that is, you know, the Ten Commandments, um, laws about justice and equity, laws about victims' rights in Exodus 22, those things are directly ap- applicable, I would say, not just to Christians, but to society as well. If society were to come under, you know, the, the to submit to the Lord, so to speak, right? Um we don't well, don't you that. just don't you mean like they they will be judged according to that standard? Is what you're exactly. saying? Exactly right. So our, um, you know, one of the reasons we know that is because our rulers are are put there by God to bear the the sword against evil doers. Well, what are evil doers? Those who break the law. Well, what is this law? God has shown us what the law is. God has shown us what evil doers uh, um, are. Right. So. Um, even in yeah, a so, yeah, society, yeah. if you're going to be consistent, you could say, well, yeah. Um, but the other way would be the law. The first way is the law is directly applicable. And we, there's examples of that, right? The Ten Commandments. Um, but so, to um, be clear, we're talking about the third use of the law in the sense of how the law is, in a sense, even binding for Christians. That Christians should right. Okay. So in this idea of trajectory, um, here's where my principle lies. I'm not sure where that falls in the trajectory with, with, cause I haven't you know, read the book or anything, but um, in the first sense, if I'm assuming continuity or presuming continuity, 
right? Bill Webb, that's his name. Sorry, Gil Webb. Okay, Bill, Bill. William, oh, Bill Webb. William. Well, Gil I'm, Webb I'm sounds better. Um, so laws are either directly applicable or laws are pr- uh, applicable in principle through their typological or metaphorical function. So the sacrificial system is still applicable in the fact that it functions as a type, right? Meaning that we don't go to the sacrificial system because it's been fulfilled in Christ. Um, so, um, See, I might, so I might say the opposite, Tyler. I might say okay. um, presume discontinuity unless there's continuity. And I, was, the I was just about to say, I've heard the exact opposite argument made. And, that, and yeah. I would say, I would say you should look for continuity. So don't just say, well, it never says Sabbath in the New Testament, so it doesn't keep it. Well, actually it does. Hebrews 10.25, you know, earlier in the Gospels, you know, Sabbath is, I think, mm-hmm. so binding for Christians in some sense. But the reason I would say it's not... In some, in some sense, that's the that's the Well, term. all of the commandments, <laughs> that's what you have to say for all of the commandments, though, right? Is Okay, you can't, so say this, Can are you allowed to worship an, an image of God? Well... Jesus Christ is the image of God. So, yeah, in some sense, we're not supposed to worship an image of God. But in one right. sense, I mean, you shall not actually, it actually says, it says, you shall not make for yourself. Make for, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Um, right. But so, so I'm still, yeah. <laughs> so, so anyways, um, but I would say discount, assume discontinuity unless, unless otherwise, because. Okay of the principle that I said earlier is that X, the 10 commandments and the, the law that follow is a um, reflection of the earlier law, but it's a, it's a particular manifestation, a particular reflection. And I think that particular reflection is over, even if I believe the law remains, but that particular reflection still tells us about what the eternal law of God is. See, um, that's when, interesting because I would assume that if you were going to take the 10 commandments and reflect that on Genesis and, you know, say like, you know, the law was basically uh, around before the law was written, so to speak, that you would be more on the side of, therefore, it's more transcendent and presumed to be uh, continuous unless stated otherwise. Yeah, well, the reason reason I would say discontinuity otherwise is um, in his book, and I actually have it somewhere on my desk, which is a hot mess right now. Um, Jesus and the God of Israel, Richard Baucom, um, says that the way that the ancient Israelites described to describe, have you read this book writer? No, I just read one uh, by him. I like him. He's a good guy. Anyways, all I'll say, Um, he says that the old Testament basically understood the law in two senses or not the law, I'm sorry, they basically worship God in two senses. So God is either understood as the God of Israel or is understood as the God of the whole, the creator of the whole world. Mm-hmm. So the law of, of Israel was fulfilled in a particular sense, but the law, the eternal law of God, um, it, well, it is still, it's fulfilled by Christ, but um, it's still, that's binding on Christians. But um, I mean, that, um, that is even, um, that is even, you could still sit. So that's why I would apply that thinking to the law, but you could still say the cultic system 
is part of the eternal law of God because mm -hmm. Abraham and Isaac. I mean, that's a good point to bring up because let's, let's just bring in another uh, issue here, which is mm -hmm. the, you know, classic distinction. Maybe it's not, maybe classic's not quite the right word. Uh, it's a pretty typical reform distinction between the moral law, the civil law, what and the ceremonial law. The, the non-existent <laughs> <tribe>. distinction. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's it's no, but it's a real it's a real thing because, for example, um, you cannot like the the two positions you guys just staked out assume continuity unless there's discontinuity. Assume discontinuity unless there's continuity. Um, those those actually like if you were to, unless you're going to draw out these extremely subtle arguments and sort of cover a lot of, um, oh, okay, yeah, no, I haven't read that. Um, unless you're going to draw a lot of like broad abstractions from what you see in the new Testament, you can't actually arrive at what the Christian church has always done. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like you can't, you can't just say, well, clearly the, the Christian tradition is to assume discontinuity unless there's continuity or clearly all Christians have always known that you assume continuity unless there's or the other way around. Right. But, but you can't so look anyways, at the Christian tradition and see, here is what the majority of Christians throughout church history have held is still applicable. You can look at that. Well, that's what, that's what I mean. That's what I'm referring to. I'm just saying, yeah. based on those two approaches, though, I, you, I, I you don't can't look think... At the, yeah, you can't look you can't, at their hermeneutical. Yeah, it's hard. And, like, I, I honestly think the, the core issue when it comes to talking about law is <clears throat> talking about justification, but not in the sense of that, um, you know, the Lutheran sort of idea that or rather the Lutheran formulation of it that uh, primarily revolves around salvation, um, the imputation of righteousness, and so on. Which I'm, just, I'm just referring to... We would I'm all agree with to, the imputation of righteousness, I would. At least I would. Yeah, so... <laughs> he, just but, to but I'm talking about, there. Yeah. But I'm talking about... Um, yeah, I'm not like NT right here. Yeah. Righteousness is not a gas that floats across the room. I would never, I would never worry that about uh, you, writer. Well, <laughs> you never know. <laughs> um, uh, you guys want to see my right collection? You've <laughs> 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 written some good stuff, but yeah, oh, anyway, sure. Keep going, keep no, I just thought that was a funny. It's a funny. Uh, it's a funny argument, but uh, it's an interesting topic, uh, definitely. But um, the idea of justification as you, you justify what you do. How do you justify what you do? Um, and I think that this is, it's a key ethical um, question is how do you justify your actions? Right. And you, and if you think about it, you could talk about it in terms of how do you think them through? If you had to explain, if you had to go back and explain to somebody after the fact, how would you explain what you did and why um, and whether it was right or wrong. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's kind of the key thing. And because as we know, um, you can always, you know, you can rationalize things to justify them. You can, you can do whatever it is. You can offer justifications, so to speak for, for your actions. So that's the sense in which I'm talking about justification. And I think that's a key issue is if you want to justify your particular, you know, let's say moral framework, I mean, particular, so it makes it sound right. so arbitrary and stupid. No, but let's no. just say you want to consistently describe the ethics of the Christian life, you're going to have a hard time doing it consistently with either of those approaches of, well, I'm just assuming discontinuity unless, because you, you end up with these sort of trivial dismissals of other, uh, let's just say, you know, points of contention, uh, even with the Sabbath thing, right? It's like, well, you just, like you just said, Matt, well, the Sabbath was upheld in the New Testament. It's like, yeah, but 
what do you mean by the Sabbath? Do you mean well, the rest yeah. the rest that we have in Christ in, in Hebrews? Or are you talking about there is still a rest you know, taking the seventh day? Yeah. yeah, are you talking about taking the seventh day and not working? Or are you talking about taking the eighth day and worshiping the Lord on the eighth day because Christ rose on that day, which somehow sort of trans transmutes well, the <laughs> yeah. you know, writer, well, but see, I, I get, hold on in a sense though writer I, I would say that um it, holding to continuity unless discontinuity is mentioned or holding to discontinuity unless continuity is mentioned um that is kind of hard to say by the way uh in, in a row but i don't think it's necessarily inconsistent just because people who would hold to it end up falling into inconsistencies doesn't mean that the system itself is inconsistent sure okay yeah i mean like i'm not i'm not opposed to the idea i guess um there there's a lot of people who who hold to that kind of view i'm not saying they're they're logically inconsistent or something um i i think you have a hard time doing it um well, but, Ryder, all of us are logically inconsistent compared to you. Yeah, but, uh. no, I mean, no, all of us, <laughs> sorry, you should have stopped that. All of us are logically inconsistent. Um, there's, there, yeah, we all have, yeah, sin takes its toll on all of our, you know, mental faculties. Yeah. But, uh, so let's, let's use, let's hit an example then of where right. I might run into this. You got, you got one in mind? Or do you want me to I have plenty in mind. I, capital okay, punishment. Okay. How about we go through capital punishment if we're going to be you know well well wait let's let's try one that doesn't have that, that maybe uh <laughs> let's because I'm, I'm just thinking about the, the whole issue of you know society at large being subjected to biblical law tradition or not i think that's that's kind of that's very you know it's closely connected but let's try to talk about something that most what, people third, view as third use of the law how do christians live under the law yeah like something that has to do with you know um personal devotional lives or a spiritual walk of christians um like I mean, Sabbath Sabbath is a good one. Um, yeah, um, there's going to be other ones too. I mean, I don't really want to talk about all the sexual laws, <laughs> just because. I mean, yeah, the, I'm not saying we have to do it tonight. Okay, let's talk about okay. let's talk about homosexuality. Well, okay. <laughs> let's. I don't want I don't want to talk about like menstruation and when you like yeah just. Yeah, but those are when, when you can have sex or not. I'm not or, sure. Any those of are the ones we're going to find inconsistencies, right? Oh, like, Matt pulls out the identity politics. <laughs> I'm just saying. But, of course, three men. <laughs> yes, sir. What's interesting, writer, is it's, um, and I'm not saying like that's the direction we have to go immediately. We can definitely work up to it. But, um, you know, interestingly enough, it's those, the, those are the ones that the world points at, though, at Christians and says, yeah, being inconsistent, sure. right? So, it's it's natural that at some point we're going to have to get to menstrual cycles. Uh, at some point, we're going to have to get to the fact that they're going to be like, "Do you really think?" I totally agree. I totally agree. I just mean not as the first example, but I guess homosexuality is pretty. Uh, well, that's the one that I mean. That here's that's the thing. that's a key issue of our day. I guess nobody nobody who did not call themselves a Christian twenty years ago could care less about the law. Um, but now that Christians are saying we believe this is immoral because we believe it's part of God's law, and they're like, well, the law is inconsistent. So let's just be clear. There is definitely ulterior motives, but it's not like we're facing well-versed, a well-versed exegetical. I don't know about that. I'd say it's more like, you know, doctrine is formulated through controversies, right? Oh, I agree. I'm not, I'm not saying there's not value to the controversy. I'm just saying 
let's just recognize what's going on. Um, but I don't know. You, to, mean, to, you mean the sense that the shellfish argument wasn't a big argument 50 years ago? Yeah, I don't think 50 years ago. I don't know. Anybody wasn't who around, wasn't a Christian. Well, let's just let's sort of what we're talking about here. Wasn't a okay. Really cared. Let's like clarify what we're talking about here. Um, we're talking about a law in the Old Testament um, that says that if a man lies with a man, uh, right. as with a woman, as if with a woman, then uh, they'll both be put to death. Right. Um, and I guess uh, would you you would you would want to say that is reflective of God's nature in creation um and therefore it has you know these enduring implications but let's you know we have to contrast it with the shellfish thing right like um you know you can't eat shellfish because that was the law but is that law not somehow reflective of god's nature and i see what you're saying so this is going to that same distinction though if is it moral civil or ceremonial right Right. So I brought that up because people generally jump to that. That's a very, it's very helpful when you want to try to explain something, but I think, I I think there's something to it. It's all moral. Absolutely. But I think there, there is still something to it. I don't know. I wouldn't formulate it like that, but they're getting at something, right? Like, there's something intuitive there. Um, But anyway, so yeah, I'm just going to say, we're talking about, we're talking about this issue where we have an old Testament law and then we have another old Testament law. One Old Testament law we seem to think has enduring implications. Now the question is why. Mm-hmm. So let's not. We're not going to like. We don't have to discuss the shellfish necessarily unless it's relevant. But, well, well, I um, have an example. I, I have an. I have an. Example. But I'll just say this. I'll just say this. It depends. Like why? Why is that law enduring? Right. And you know, so Tyler, you're assuming continuity. So what would so you? I do think the shellfish law has implications. So, but explain <laughs> well, the, explain home, the homosexuality one first. Uh, how would you how would you understand that given let's uh, just say in the old testament it's against the law let's say it's it's against the law how does that play out in the new testament and in the life of the christian it's still against the law and therefore it's it's wrong it's abhorrent but so, can i clarify ask tyler clarification question so but you would say tyler that doesn't mean that we should stone every person. You you think we should put people to death? Yeah, you would. You wouldn't say that, would you? Well, that's that's the discussion, isn't it? If I'm <laughs> going to be consistent, well, if I'm going to be consistent with my continuity, when the Bible talks about things that are a capital offense, so let me let me. Okay, I don't, I don't want to take us too off topic, but since we're here then, and the question was posed, do I think homosexuals should be stoned or put to death? Well, are we, are, let me just ask, are we completely against the death penalty across the board? Am I against the death penalty? Both of you. Are we completely against the death penalty across the board? Uh, it's money, in my mind. Really? If, I don't, so, I don't if, really, I don't, I, I don't really, it's like, I don't, it's not up to me. Like I, mean, I live I'm, in a, I live in a country where there's no death penalty. But I'm, I'm saying might, in I theory. Well in theory, I'm saying, like like theologically speaking, or in theory, is is the death penalty? No, I could understand. Penalty. I could. Yeah, I, I would think there's there's circumstances where somebody needs to die. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, yeah. No, no. Oh, I sorry. I, I thought you answered, but. 
Well, I was just going to say, in theory, I'm okay with it. I just don't have any doubts. I have just doubts about any government being able to carry it out justly. So that's right. what I would say. There's, just, there's been too many circumstances. That's, that's a different thing. That's a different thing. Right. No, no, but, but, but what I'm saying is, so that's, that's the problem. Exactly right. what Matt brought up, which is, in theory, yes. In theory, I hold to God's law in such a way that rapists, murderers, child molesters, people who sacrifice their children to Molech, those are capital offenses. And what's, what else is in there? Kidnapping, adultery, um, bearing false witness at a capital crime. So you are, in fact, a reason that somebody else gets pushed to death because you lied on the stand, so to speak, right? Um, uh, these are things that the Bible calls capital offenses. I'm okay with saying, yeah, those in a, in a world that submits to the law of God should be capital offenses. So theoretically, yes. Do I think that means that we should go out and start stoning the homosexuals? Absolutely not. We're not a society that submits even consistently to, even if we wanted to, we're certainly not a society that does uh, submission to the, to the law of God consistently. Even if we wanted to level. submit to the government. So, okay. so that's why I'm trying to, I just wanted to make that distinction. So theoretically, yes, I'm going to stay consistent and say, um, yeah, a homosexual act is deserving of death. But the reality is, I think we can understand that that's not too far-fetched because really all of our sinful offenses are deserving of death, right? But the difference is when we talk about something like homosexuality in the law, what we're seeing is that God has given the governing authority, in this sense, the power to, um, to carry out the, uh, the, the death penalty. And I think the reason why this is is because um, uh, certain offenses are more degrading to image bearers than others. Right. So if you have or a system, you could just say destructive to society too. You could say what what unravels society, what what ends up hurting more people than the death penalty. <laughs> right. And and so and and I can tell you guys that this is something that I, you know, I live out practically in the sense of, um, you know, the the ministry that I'm involved in. Yeah. Yeah. I I I um, on a daily basis deal with with people who are registered sex offenders. Um, murderers, rapists, have had homosexual lifestyles, have, you know, I mean, all these things that you're seeing as capital offenses, and yet I'm ministering the gospel to them and not stoning them. Why? Well, because that's not my responsibility. That's the responsibility given to uh, the, the, the governing authority. But a governing authority that doesn't submit to the law of God is going to be inconsistent, and therefore I don't trust them to carry out... <laughs> Um, oh, it's so well, well, that's that's a different thing though, because would you trust them to carry it out in terms of serial killers or something? Well, what I'm saying is if they're not if they're going to be consistent in the use of capital punishment, then they need let's to assume they're not going to be consistent. Would you say, well, I you know, in theory, serial killers. Yeah, but okay. Even so given that, killers, even so given that though, consistent. I know. So I'm now talking about you know what what you think should happen. Um, 
or I'll just say, I'll just say my thought on it <laughs> instead, okay. instead of just pro- prodding at you. Um, <laughs> I think if you're going to say that um, you would be okay with the government carrying out the death penalty for, um, you know, serial rapists, serial killers, whatever, um, then it makes it's completely consistent to say, I think the government should carry out the death penalty for sodomy too. Right. So, and I mean, the reality is we, it's, it's pretty funny. We live in a, we live in a culture that celebrates sodomy and has pride parades um, and says, this is the love, love is love, et cetera. And um, which is interesting. <laughs> right. We, we, have, we, we have parades that pretty much are geared towards celebrating the fact that we can murder our children. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we, we live in a world that celebrates sodomy, but we also live in a world, sorry, we live in a culture that celebrates sodomy, but we live in a world where other cultures do carry out the death penalty for sodomy. Um, so we live in this world with complete, like if we were in, I don't know, where? <laughs> I can't, I don't, I don't know the countries off the top of my head where they, um, where they execute sodomites, but... Um, Saudi Arabia, that, Iran... Pretty sure. Yeah. So let's say we're in Iran and um, yeah, we would be having this conversation like, well, obviously the government has to carry out the death penalty for sodomites. Um, and then the question is, well, d- does the government, can the government carry out death, the death penalty for um, converts away from Islam or whatever it is, right? Um, we'd be having a different, it'd be, we'd be having a different conversation, but the reason we're tiptoeing around it is because all of our neighbors uh, will you know, genuinely think, uh, if, if you have this opinion, then your neighbors are going to think you're an evil person. Um, right. They're going to think you are deserving of not going to bring, therefore I'm not going to, I'm not going to love someone who's homosexual because I'm going to be fixated on killing them. And that's just not the case. Right. So they're going to think, well, Tyler thinks I deserve to die. I mean, quite frankly, I think we all deserve to die, but, uh, you know yeah yeah but then there's there's things that people can do that actually are um yeah there's there some things are that? worse than others some right. things are worse than others <laughs> and god <laughs> puts yeah god, so, god puts homosexuality sodomy as an offense that is as grave as rape murder kidnapping sacrificing your children to molech necromancy blasphemy and so all right, all right. So but let's just let's say, let's bring it back to the law thing then. Let's just say so you don't see any reason in the New Testament for that to be abrogated. For for capital either either like the that? either either death penalty or the actual you know the sanctions against sodomy. No. So there's nothing. So even, you know, when, when um, Jesus tells Peter to put his sword away, Jesus tells you to turn the other cheek. Um, and uh, yeah. Why do you I think mean, that or, would be? Or being subject to the governing authorities. Right. Who are the, those governing authorities who are called to wield the sword against evildoers? Yeah, it doesn't say be subject to the governing authorities who get it all right. No, no, but what I mean is the governing authorities are called to be they're, they're called to be servants, right, of the Lord and, and wield the sword against evildoers. So they have a responsibility to govern themselves according to God's justice. Do you think what, what Paul was referring to there was Old Testament law? He was thinking be subject to the Roman authorities because they are put in place to execute Old Testament law. I think I, I'm, I'm not saying that Roman society therefore needs to become 
Israeli society, right? Like like an ancient, you know, uh, ancient Israelite. Let's be clear. Let's distinguish our terms clearly. <laughs> all right. Well, you know, I mean, uh, <laughs> we we spend a whole hour just defining terms. <laughs> I know. But, I know. So that was well, more tongue in cheek. So t- Tyler, tell me what about shellfish? So that's what we're saying is we're going to contrast. Right. Well, shellfish is in the capital offense. Well, yeah, but do you think? I mean, why? Sh- why not apply shellfish and why apply? Hey, gathering yeah. sticks on the Sabbath was a capital offense. Yeah. Yeah. So how about so that? Let's that's just why say that. I'm saying, I'm saying that's why in my understanding is there's laws that have direct application. And then there's laws that have um, more. Okay. This is good. See, here we are now. Okay. That's, that's the kind of the point I wanted to get to is like, what, like, where in the New Testament is the discon- is it sort of like the death penalty for gathering sticks on the Sabbath abrogated? Um, so that would take us into this discussion of how do you understand the Sabbath working today, right? So, so you almost, because of the Sabbath. Okay, I don't want to put words in your mouth. <laughs> so what, well, I guess what I'm saying is the, the big thing there is that would fall under a typological fulfillment because Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Okay, but you he's not, he's not our death penalty. You don't think there's any Sabbath obligation for the Christian? Um, not in a Sabbath. Just in an abstract sense. Right? So not, not in a sense of, you know, don't mow your lawn on the Sabbath. But So Jesus is the Sabbath we, fulfillment. But, but the, reason why we, we can, the reason why we know that's true is because the New Testament does tell us that because what does Jesus do on the Sabbath? He does things that according to the religious authority breaks the Sabbath. But well, then, so did David. Well, exactly. And, and David, but, um, but that, point, that didn't have to do with the new covenant being inaugurated already or Christ having fulfilled that law already. That was before that was David well, did but something. In the Old Testament, to be fair to Tyler, in the Old Testament, there were ex- exemptions on the Sabbath for war. I mean, that was so, okay. That's interesting too. No, this is good. Yeah. See, I'm just, I'm just trying to push the logic in a sense to right. say, cause like, I don't think you're necessarily wrong in what you're saying about it. But then the question is why, how do you justify that? Right. That's the question. Like, how do you justify it? And I think it's so, really so important. Let me turn it on you then, Ryder. Um, how do you oh, wait, wait first, Matt, if you can do it quickly, <laughs> cause we got to end pretty quick here. Yeah. But, but if you're gonna if you're gonna take the opposite, let's just assume assume discontinuity except for right. continuity with the sticks on the Sabbath and with homosexuality. Right. Um, Maybe the sticks <laughs> first. Well, I was gonna do the shellfish because I had a really good argument. Okay, shellfish. Yeah, please. Yeah. Um, but I can do either or. Right. right. Um, well, I think first off, we all agree that there is continuity in God's will for for marriage from the Old to the New Testament, right? So one man and one woman, that, that doesn't change in the New Testament. Because Jesus upholds it in the New Testament, or what? Well, I mean, you see it in Genesis pre-Sinai, you see it Sinai, you okay. see it yeah. in the New Testament. We see all clearly, I mean, clearly say it in Romans 1, despite the best attempts of some to, you know, argue their way out of it. I mean... Bill Webb. Yeah, I know. I know some people do. And I just their arguments are just unconvincing. I don't think anybody, I don't even think like most liberals really buy them, but, um, 
but I agree. Yeah. I agree with you. I wrote a I wrote a paper on it, but uh, my professor suggested I not publish it if I want to get too, a teaching job. <laughs> too inflammatory. I like to read that, but anyways, I mean, I think yeah. we're all in agreement. For we don't need to rehearse all those. Okay, but that's a good. Like, that's a, even right. good. What you just said is you're 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 not you're saying it's not that the New Testament necessarily upholds it. It's that it's prior to. So you're just saying it's yeah. like the Sinai covenant is bracketed. Yeah. Well, it's an instantiation of it. I'm I'm just trying to be consistent. In my that's logic good. Here, right. So, um, yeah. so I think in terms of murder, not murdering, I think in terms of giving people, um, stoning people who commit that particular offense, um, of the authorities stoning people. Yeah. I, that's it. So that takes me into the first use of the law. Like how much can you enforce Christian morality on unbelievers? Um, and, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, so I told you I was gonna I told you guys before I was gonna bring Bonhoeffer in, right? And Bonhoeffer's ethics, he says, I don't know where, but I have time to look it up, but he says something really good about this. He says Christians can only can only um, enforce their moral will on a country as far as that country will let them. So we can assume the first use of the law. We can assume that the law restrains evil. We can assume that at some level the law speaks to all people in their heart. We can argue coherently for it, um, but it has to be a national covenant in terms of that particular. So, so in other words, it, it maybe Back to Israel does, again. Yeah, maybe a nation does say, "Hey, we're we are going to punish this as a capital offense." That's fine, um, but maybe a nation doesn't. Like none of our nations do. So, um, so that's how I would argue that particular point, because I think that falls under the first use of the law. How do we apply this to non-believers? Not, that's not that's not even a point really where I would disagree with you, Matt. Because I I'm that's why I'm gonna have to take the floor here just for a couple of seconds. Yeah, no, you're fine. So that way, nobody ends thinking Tyler wants to just you know kill homosexuals. Right. Um, but it's pretty clear you don't want to do that. Either. Okay, well, you know, you never know. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Um, so, so let me just say uh, two things here. First, there's an essence of agreement that I have with you, Matt, which is we can't we can't enforce these laws in a consistent manner in a country that celebrates these things, right? So, I so in order for my theoretical like or my theology of what should happen to crimes deserving of capital punishment in the law, the only way that that can actually work is if a society repents and returns to the Lord and and develops their society saying, we are a society that now submits to the word of God, and therefore our laws are built on ethics from the word of God. And then I would say in that case, ethically, these things would be okay. But if you have a society that only wants to take pieces of scripture and say, well, we're going to be a biblical society, you know, and they only take pieces, well, then that's inconsistent, right? And so therefore, it, it, it's, it just doesn't, it's not going to work, right? Right. And I would then argue that any society that is going to say, we're going to be a Christian society that submits to the word of God is probably going to be inconsistent at points. Yeah. So, um, that's why unless I'm saying I was, if, unless I was a dictator. <laughs> so, but la, the the second thing I wanted to say 
is this, which is when I talk about something like homosexuality being a capital offense, it's in the line of me submitting myself to what the Lord calls just and righteous, right? So when we, so if you guys, let's just say hypothetically, because I don't, it wasn't very clear, but let's say you guys are against the death penalty, right? Maybe in theory you're for it, but you're not for it in practice. So then the question becomes in this arbitrary system that man has created, what is the just response to someone who rapes a person? What is the just penalty for somebody who is a serial killer? Well, we know that the just penalty for these things is death. That's the just penalty because God says this is the just penalty. It's not the just penalty to lock them in a cage for the next 40 years of their life, like an animal. You could say one is actually more merciful than the other. Yeah. Um, well, you, the whole, here's, here's the thing. You guys are kind of, it's, it's interesting because whenever we're talking about it, you, you're sort of leaping to like, what should the government do? Whereas really like, let's face it for like, for us, like, it's just, it's it's almost immaterial what the government should do. Like, what should they be doing right now? Like, I mean, you know, are they going to come around and force vaccinate all of us? Like, what should they be doing? (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean, (laughs) the thing is it's not immaterial for some of us because for some of us, we, we are ministering to people. Sorry. I I mean, it's immaterial in the sense that. Right. De- determining it one way or the other, like I, I, it's a, it's a it's a separate topic of discussion. Is what I mean. I don't mean right. it's not it's not relevant to. I guess I, can, I made it sound like that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what I mean is, when it comes to like, okay, as a Christian, like I mean, you you're talking about the third use of the law. Is what does it look like for a Christian to live, uh, you know, in light of the law? Um, this is where I like. I think it's a, it's a separate question. I guess is what I mean is what should the government do? But I guess right. what That's should right. you what should you do and what is binding on you now right. in terms of in, enforcing penalties and stuff? I think it's interesting that it's not like it, in some ways it's a, it's a separate issue, I guess, but right. in some ways it's, it's tied well, up with it for sure. But well, and that's um, what I'm saying. That, to me, this is a first use of the law issue of how we argue for this in broader society. But so if I could contrast this to be a little bit more speedy um, with, for example, shellfish, um, or any of the unclean animals, pork. I mean, I ate three slices of bacon. So does that mean this morning, you know, and then again at lunch. Um, so does that mean that? Nice. I, yeah. Actually, I don't know if I had it for bacon today, but often I will have bacon for, for bacon in a day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry. Uh, bacon, breakfast, lunch. Or also- he calls the meal bacon. No, I'm just kidding. That's awesome. <laughs> um, they, so, but for unclean animals in general, right. Um, there was a strict set of unclean animals and unclean and general unclean things. Um, the, in ancient Israel, that's undeniable that God, God mandated that list of unclean things. There's been thousands of attempts to justify why God mandated some things and not others. If I could just say this, the, the moral sociologist, Jonathan Haidt, um, who's not a Christian, I think he's a secular Jew. Um, he wrote a book called The Righteous Mind. And uh, one of the things that he said in there is all cultures have a cleanliness switch, 
Mm-hmm. Like there are things that are just disgusting and important to all cultures. Um, all cultures have that. So to despise some people because they have it and they don't um, is, I, I think, silly. Like in our, we don't eat French fries with gravy and cheese curds on them. <laughs> well, hey, you need to come down this, <laughs> come down south, come down here to, uh, come down here to Indiana. You'll find some. But well, just but put your like, ice skates on, and it tastes a lot better. <laughs> like I don't know anyone. I I lived in Chicago. It's a a relatively diverse city. <laughs> I guess you could say. And uh, I I never saw a cooked dog restaurant. And yet there are lots of places that there are lots of places around the world that eat dogs. But in Western society, that's an unclean animal. You can have them in your house, but you can't eat them. That's an unclean taboo, right? So the fact that there were taboos in the Old Testament doesn't invalidate it because we have taboos in our society too i mean if you don't think you do <laughs> just find uh, just just step into another dogs. culture for a yeah, just talk, right? just talk about homosexuality on a podcast <laughs> well exactly i mean exactly um so we have taboos so to say that we don't is just to pretend like we're so enlightened because those people that you know they don't want to eat pigs or whatever no i mean that was so, like, so them not right? eating them not eating pork was like a broader cultural thing in the middle east like muslims today still don't eat pork so, so you're talking that's my, that's about shellfish or what? Well, I mean shellfish. That's part of they're they're part of the cleanliness code, right? So I guess I'm expanding right. it. But um, the thing about the New Testament, so so that was for the ancient Israel. But once again, I'm going to apply this principle of I'm going to apply this principle of the Sinai covenant. In some sense, was is is not applicable to Christians. It reflects a deeper law, which is applicable to Christians, but it itself is not applicable to Christians. Um, and to the extent that it extent, and, and anyways, so um, the shellfish that's that is living um, a clean life, a, a virtuous life in ancient Israel. That's not necessarily true in first century Damascus. It's not necessarily true in first century Rome. So um, for Christ, for the church, which is made up of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, to hold to the to hold them to a um, to a particular manifestation of the eternal law, um, I think would have been abhorrent. Uh, it would have been wrong, and it would have yeah. But uh, dude, they, they, like the Romans, the, the Romans, like homosexuality was like not quite a virtue for Romans. Like it, it, it was, was certainly kind of shameful for men, but it was very well accepted. It was clean. It was more accepted. Well, it was more accepted. So, so couldn't you make that evolutionary argument that well, if, if that's the case, if it's just a cultural thing, um, then actually, well, no, know, we actually need to live a clean life and follow the cleanliness codes of our culture. If that's because Matt for us. because Matt has scripture to back up what he's going to say. <laughs> like what I mean is well, like Matt's not saying here's the trajectory. Matt's saying. The difference, well, I'm, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, sorry, but the difference is we have a clear indication in Scripture that God makes all things clean because he's opened up the nations, right? I mean, yeah. he's opened this up to the nations. I mean, Like, like Peter's, Peter's at, vision is what you're thinking of? Right. Where the, the animals come down and God says, don't call unclean what God has made clean? Right, right. exactly. So well, how does... So, so at, well, now with, you, with homosexuality, how does that Well, apply? if I could just make a point about homosexuality... <laughs> 
um, different cultures have said that it's clean versus unclean and different in the same cultures. Like even in ancient Rome, well, certainly it was more acceptable. And so it was divorce, by the way, more acceptable there that today than it is now. Um, it wasn't like there wasn't a backlash against it. You know, there was plenty of ancient Romans. I think Cicero was one of them who thought it was a terrible thing and they were really opposed to it. And those aren't believers, right? That are pagans. So it's not like homosexuality was always accepted by Rome. It was, it was certainly something people engaged in. But to, to bring that back to this, I mean, um, yeah, so some, in some ways the Bible does mandate culture. So that, that is not a, a cultural thing that's up for grabs. In some ways the Bible doesn't. So um, I don't know that the Bible mandates what I can and cannot eat so much as it wants me to live a pure and chaste and virtuous life in the culture that I live in. Um, but I do think that the Bible mandates how I conduct my marriage and who I marry. Um, so now the, your marriage is what makes up, it's one of the folk ways that makes up culture. And so that's kind of where some of the complexity is, but we have to follow the Bible as well as we can, you know? So, yeah. so I, I, I did not go short as you wanted me to writer, but I think fine. I was going shorter than Tyler. You show the difference though. There is, well, <laughs> um, <laughs> you show that the difference there too, is the fact that when you talk about something like shellfish, you are noticing that it has a place in the law that, and I'm saying from my perspective that holds continuity until the New Testament shows that it's rescinding this sort of application of that law. And therefore, what I would say is that gives something like shellfish a different kind of function. It's not like God's ideas are therefore void. It's more of that it had a different kind of function, which was a separate people, right? We're, we're meant to be... That's a good word to bring into this discussion is function. Um, right. And actually, that's interesting you point that out because Matt really does have more of a reformed perspective on it than a dispensational one. Um, and to well, your question, I, I know to your, to I, your insinuation, I, I would say I'm like in the sense that God works in different times in different ways, um, then yeah, that's, if that's dispensationalism, sure. Um, if it's, you know, the whoa, seven, whoa, the, the, whoa. the dispensation of writer Noah, can we get that in writing? Well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a, you know, like a covenant theologian. I'm not a dispensationalist. I don't know. It's just, I just think it's a, it's a false dichotomy uh, because a, they're too a, like, writers and enigma is what writer is. <laughs> the, I'm a Canadian. Slope. I don't know. The, the, the reality is I had no clue about what, the, what you guys were talking about about the rapture. I actually think you, you Matt, asked me right when I got to movie, you're like, what do you think about the rapture? And I was just like, I think I heard before I met you that you were a very oh, dogmatic okay. Reformed Baptist, and so I was baiting you. But I don't know. All I remember was one time sitting down with June in, in our uh, one of our dorm rooms and just being like, June, just read Ephesians 2, man. And he was like reading, and he's like, and he's like, now you are no longer foreigners, but citizens, fellow citizens and fellow, fellow citizens with, with the saints. And he's like, and he looked at me and he was like, is this, what translation is this? <laughs> and then he said, and he said, I was like, <laughs> he's just like, I really think 
if people knew what this said, then they would have a different opinion about Israel. <laughs> so I thought that was so funny, man. Okay, anyway, it was hilarious. Anyways. Um, so that, that aside, okay, here, here's, here's the thing. It's just, I actually think both of those, like, I think you guys both are pretty much on the same page. I, the I think they do wind up. They, but the, and here's the thing, yeah. but neither of you is really strictly, like maybe you can make the case that you are, Tyler, but you're not really strictly following this, like everything, like I am not under the law in any sense. I'm only under what Christ has commanded wherever and where that's consistent with the law. Or you're not saying, neither of you is consistently saying, well, I am 100% under law unless the New Testament has specifically made it clear that I'm not under that particular commandment. Um, yeah. Neither of you is really, because that's you'll, you'll saying, do this. Yeah. No, I know. Well, that's how we started was you you're, I know, I guess you weren't saying strictly a hundred percent. You were saying you favor continuity unless there's discontinuity. And, and what I meant though, was when I see something in the new Testament that um, modifies it or rescinds the application of a given law, it doesn't, it doesn't rescind the law itself. Right. So oh, sure. That's what I mean. Sorry. That's okay. what I, that's what I mean. I mean, like, um, in the in insofar as that law has bearing on your actions today uh in a literal sense let's just say in a literal sense because i think everybody would probably most people would agree that there's at least the sense in which the law is an instance of god's nature or the eternal law or natural law or whatever you want to call it the moral law so the, the sinai covenant is an instance of that and insofar as it is an instance of that um, or insofar as it transparently reflects who God is, that is the degree to which it still has implications for us because it's it's who God is. It's how reality is, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. Like, I, I think I, what I want to just bring up then in the, in, a, in a couple minutes here is this idea. It's just this idea that maybe the maybe a better approach to resolving the these disagreements that like these you know discontinuities or points of conflict or tension tension is probably the best word for it um that i think all of us can recognize they come up like some the things where you could make a point about trying to follow god's law and someone will say yeah well what about whatever you know how are you being consistent with this or or that or whatever it is and you know they're interesting discussions um but i don't think any like you don't you guys probably don't feel like you're being you know you're you're somehow you know, twisting and um, rationalizing your, your, you know, selective obedience to the law in a sense that you, you only do what you want to do and you don't, you're not, you're not really trying to honor God. You probably don't feel that way. You're not like, Oh yeah, I'm intentionally, I just take, just take I'm not. Not doing the, it's not the Benjamin Franklin Bible or something. Right. I, I don't think you guys are. No, that's but what I'm saying. Know, is I, I think you guys are, I think you guys are on the right. <laughs> no, you but you know, okay. If I can, if I can make a point off of that and we probably, I know we need to wrap it no, up. No, wait, 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 hold it. Unless <laughs> it's really short. It is short. Um, that is how the law was written. Like the law was not written to be an exhaustive. Here's what you do in every single circumstance. Yes. Like, you, yes, you exactly. The Old Testament. You read the, te- I mean, read Exodus against the 10 commandments. And then it says, and here's how that applies in this situation. And then it expects right. you to reason to the next situation. It expects you, I mean, that it's very dialogical and frenetic, very thinking it through and meditating on the law day and night, like the Psalms said. So that's what yeah. we're doing, I think, is what the Bible wants us to do with the Bible. So that, okay, that's great. That's great. And the way I've tried to articulate that is, what if instead of talking about how, like to the, the degree to which the law is applicable, what if we just assume the biblical law tradition as a whole is a unified tradition? 
So let's just assume the thing we're talking about is the law in the canon of scripture. And so with all of its internal developments and consistency included. And then what if instead of asking about well, how is it inconsistent within itself, instead we just talk about or we ask the question, what do we mean by law? And what does it mean for a law to apply? What does it mean to justify our actions on the basis of laws? Um, and what really is the nature of the biblical law tradition? And maybe we actually have some cultural ideas about what makes a law a law that we import into the biblical text. And we think, um, you know, or we don't, or rather we don't think about it. It's just, it's just that's the way we assume law works. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll, the two terms that really come into play here are statutory law and common law. And in a statutory law tradition, um, law works very differently. It's all about the letter. Like, and the best example we have of that is tax law. If you find a loophole in tax law, is that immoral? Like, let's just say, for example, you donate, so you have a, you you can write off those that income and you you get money back or whatever. Like, is that immoral to You're donate money and write? <laughs> you pay my that's it. That's immoral. Are taxes immoral? <laughs> yes, yes. Sorry. Tax. Sorry. Yes, taxing Sorry. people is not. It's like let's just assume taxing is immoral, like the libertarian. I'm, I'm and let's I'm also just assume that as Christians, I'm just saying let's assume it's immoral, and let's assume also that Jesus told us to 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 do it. So let's just do it. So um, yeah, you can. Yeah. Anyways. Um, so just just think though for a second if you if you pay if you donate and then you get a tax write off is that some is that immoral because well you know there were laws in place that were to you know the goal was to get you to pay more taxes and you're kind of circumventing that by donating money like is that immoral I don't think <laughs> let's no, just let's just say it's not immoral so. no 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 in fact probably if you find a great tax loophole. Most people would give you a high five. They'd be like, sweet, man, nice. <laughs> They'd be like, good job. You, right. Because, because it's that's the way tax. <laughs> yeah, but that, that's the way tax law works. Is right. You follow the letter of the law. That's, that's how it works. It's like terms of service or something. It's that, that's the nature of statutory law. Is it has to be exhaustive and only what the, the, the law actually covers in, its, in the letter right. of the law, so to speak, is what is binding. Um, and you actually, by, you know, if where the law doesn't extend, you don't have to be obedient to what it might say under such circumstances. It's just, mm -hmm. it's the wild west if it doesn't say anything about it. That's how statutory law works. Common law tradition is very different because it's usually not like in, you know, in the tradition, like going back, you know, like the Western law tradition, like back in the, you know, the Germanic days, um, we, we didn't, like, there was no like written law. It was like you had these sort of elders. And I mean, actually even just let's talk about in the Old Testament, um, uh, you have the uh, the judges, for example, or let's just say Moses, right? Moses has the, the law, but then how does Moses actually resolve disputes? People come up to him and they're like, hey, what, what should we do? And he goes and asks God, and then God, you know, gives him the wisdom to make a decision right. that, you know, we trust is consistent with, uh, Moses probably was trying to make it consistent with the revealed, you know, uh, will of God. And uh, so Moses makes a pronouncement and that becomes the law in that situation uh, because Moses was the authoritative uh, uh, judge. And it's the same way with, with judges, you know, going down throughout the, the history. And some of them were a little wacko for sure. But that was how the, the, the Israelite law tradition actually carried on was as a common law tradition, because this is the best example of how of common law tradition in action is 
Solomon, King Solomon, the wisest king, is sitting on his throne, and a woman, you know, two women come in, and they're like, this, this is my baby, you know, this is my baby. And then, you know, the one's like, well, um, no, she took my baby because she, she slept, she rolled on top of hers in the night, so she took mine. And what does Solomon say? Cut it in half. Like, like, what do we do? But just think about this. What does he not say, first of all? He doesn't say, hold on one second while I... Actually, this is not even... This is not Dear, uh, law 532, subsection B, article D, footnote A. Ah, right here, it says, and then well, it'll be like, but it doesn't say anything about it happening at night. Like, I guess... You know, it's the wild way. No, he doesn't do that, right? He doesn't. He doesn't go. Let me. Let me just go check what it said. Like, no. Instead, right. he he has read, and he's been taught the law, and he's internalized the law, uh-huh. and he's actually able to make a pronouncement that's consistent with the law. And the fact is, like, you know, this that situation was pretty unique. You know, as far right. as we know, in that uh, you know, obviously, no no two other prostitutes or women, whoever they were, came to Solomon that we know of. So it was a unique situation. And that's the common law, a common law tradition basically takes into account the fact that the letter of the law cannot possibly address every situation. It just can't. And it's, and like you just said, Matt, it's not designed to do that. Right. And this is, I think this is exactly what Jesus, you know, the, you could say the case that Jesus brings against the teachers of the law at the time against the Jews is he says, you are treating, okay, it doesn't say it like this, if I can paraphrase, you are treating God's law, which functions like a common law, where you need to, you need to try to uh, actually figure out what God would do. And the way you do that is by internalizing the logic of the law and applying it to a situation that it never said anything about precisely, but you are, by, you know, by understanding the logic of the law, you're able to extrapolate how it should work. Um, and I know this is going to sound a lot like the evolutionary kind of approach, but anyways, I think Jesus okay, was saying so you were taking you and the I are law dispensationalists tree. at the end. And well, Keith, the here, baptizing no, 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 <laughs> no, no, because no, I think I'm on, I think I'm on the same page as Tyler. <laughs> is, so you're saying, so let's say, since we've been talking about homosexuality, we, there's a difference between the letter of the law saying a homosexual act needs to be put to death, right? Like, so if you take that as a statutory law, it's across the board, you know, death, 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 death. But, well, and it's also only what the law specifically says right, is right, where the law the applies. So right. therefore, common law takes into In, consideration homosexuality words, not lying with con, the law. No, context and function. Right. Context and function. And this is the key is. And, well, and just to finish my point, Jesus is basically bringing this case that you are treating a common law tradition as if it were a statutory law tradition where if you find a loophole, you're like, ha-ha, well, I tithe 10% of my whatever, but I am going to just like really like lay down the law with this whatever. And, oh, I can, oh, wait, okay, I have to honor my father and mother, which, which means I have to financially provide for them in their old age. But if I dedicated to the Lord, then I don't have to provide for my parents in, in their old age. Ta-da! I came up with a loophole and, and Jesus is like, don't you, like, what, who, who do you think you are? Who do you think you're fooling? Right. right? Who do you think you're fooling? Um, so anyways, when it comes to any law, I think the key is you have to look at the context and how it functioned in the context and then ask yourself, to what degree has the context changed? And so that's where, when it came to the that. Sabbath, yeah, we will, we will do a part two on that. And I'll just give you, I'll give you an example with David. 
goes into the you know Lord's the, the, the Lord's house on the on the Sabbath and eats the holy bread. Um, that's a different situation than the guy who's in the camp just grabbing sticks because he's like, whatever, you know, God said don't pick up don't don't work on Sabbath, but God says a lot of stuff. We you know, <laughs> we, we made golden calves, you know, what do I care? Who is who is this God who just brought us out of Egypt? So that's a very different it's very it's a very different situation. It's a very different context. And the law has a function and the fun- function has to take into account context because function only happens in context. And so anyways, that's, that's what I'm going to say is, you know, we can talk about this next time, but um, yeah, that's the idea. I challenge you to think about, you know, what, pardon me, how are you thinking about law or how do you, maybe your assumptions about how law works and including the people you're probably, you know, coming into contact with, like you were saying, Tyler, you know, we have to, it is material because we're dealing with people who are bringing this up. Um, Like the way those people think about law how is it maybe, you know, they're, they're treating it like the, the Pharisees were treating law where they were saying, yeah. you know, we need to, yeah, we can get a, you, you know, it's, it's the letter law. It's basically like tax law. Um, and I think if you take, if you make that shift in your thinking, all of a sudden it all makes perfect sense. It's like, it's not inconsistent. It's just insofar as the context change and, and to bring up the point of homosexuality, what, ch- what changes about that context there? If a man lies with a man as with a woman, well, why is that wrong in, in ancient Israelite tradi- uh, culture? Well, for the same reason it's wrong now. Like Paul, that's what, that's what Paul brings out. It's like that, you know, the same reason adultery is always, is still wrong um, and so on. So well, I mean, and, you, and you find so, that in, uh, in more, well, I probably shouldn't get too much into it, but you, you find that in other cultures where it is more of a legalistic setting, which is, Oh, I can't sleep with another man, but does that mean I can't, hold hands with another man does it mean i can't i can't be in a a a non-physical romantic relationship right so so i think that's the same thing in a lot of areas you see it in divorce for example it's like technically you know we you know we we separated and she got another relationship so technically i can get married again too right so like uh, you you, anyways okay well if i could just make one point Uh, yes i so I think you're probably right in the sense that which one does does the Old Testament law more logically fit into statutory versus common. But I do think that you – I just want to emphasize that we, we need to be careful about saying, well, using any, any grid, cultural grid, um, to interpret yeah. the Bible through. So Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. say – so it doesn't law function. is common law like exactly so it's there are things that are reminiscent of common law but there it's rather are, it's more like and i exactly. think the way the way we normally talk about it is as if it were more like statutory law so yeah that's a good point to bring up so i would I just and maybe i don't know this is your your facilitation writer so i don't know where you want to end but i, I would just want to emphasize you still have to make room for an eternal stable law that doesn't change ever. So there is that there would be is the aspect context. of context that is has not changed and well is, that's what I'm saying. Not change. Is, is there is yeah. context that does change, but there yeah, there is the eternal law of God which is unalterable. So I don't know where you want to end. That's just yeah, my because last it's two cents. God, God does not change. And so that yeah. as God God will not change the context. That aspect of the context you could say will always remain the same. And so, exactly. Yeah. And that is and fundamentally that, different than a lot of context. So, and that's where I think, you know, that evolutionary trajectory kind of view, there's something to it. Um, but when, when you, th- when you can take it and say, well, up used to mean 
up, now it means down. Right. Left used to mean left, now it means right. Wrong now means you know, wrong is virtuous. Um, and we pride is something to celebrate like that. Those kind of things like you, you actually can't, it, it's not a matter of, well, we've just developed, we've evolved. Um, right. evolution is random and, uh, yeah, that's, that's not the way, uh, that's not the way God's law works. So anyway, well, I think that, we, certainly yeah, we should it out, uh, <laughs> a certain level of audience, but yeah. So whoever doesn't care, <laughs> I think we've solidified the camp that we're in theologically. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be listening going forward. Which yeah, I'm not going to be mad this far in this episode. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. The world, the world is lacking right now, and people yeah. who are willing to just point out the obvious fact that sodomy right. is wrong and it's right. it's destructive, and there's a lot more going on than what our culture makes it out to be, which is right. oh, just two people are in love, and their biology determines what that means, and so right. that's it. It's like that's actually not how it works. That's not what's going on, and. Um, and it's pretty obvious, but you're not allowed to say it. So, um, yeah, the world needs people to say it. And that means, you know, for example, I, for example, you post this video and I will not be allowed to teach at any university. So that's okay. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be like, Oh, I'm just not going to speak the truth because otherwise I might not get a job. That's just not a job I want to have. Right. Right. I got so. scared there for a moment for you. Don't, don't be scared. I, my biggest concern was just people saying, does Tyler, you know, I'm still not clear. Does he want to... The nice, the nice thing is when you speak the truth, when you speak the truth, evil people will kick you out of hell. So that's... Right. <laughs> <There you go. laughs>